Hello friends, Michael Greywolf here. This episode is being released a little bit later than we had intended. We had wanted this episode to be out in time for International Women's Day, but around the time of this recording was when the COVID-19 pandemic was just starting. And in the week that came after this initial recording, things kind of snowballed. And we've all been dealing with this pandemic in our own way. And unfortunately, I kind of let the ball slip on getting uh, this episode and our other most recent episode edited in time for uh, March. I am getting this one out right now, and I will have our next episode out as soon as I can. I hope you enjoy. And oh, one more quick little thing. With this episode being in honor of International Women's Day, we did want to say that we do acknowledge that it is three cisgender gay men talking about the Divine Feminine and uh, the Goddess in this, obviously, episode. Everything that is stated here is our own opinions and views on this topic. We hope you enjoy, and we look forward to continuing the discussion with you. And now, on to the show. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Walking the Unnamed Path. Uh, we are a podcast dedicated to expanding on the teachings and techniques given to us by the ancestors of men who love men and laid out by our late brother and founder, Hyperion. We also discuss topics and ideas pertaining to queer pagan men and the greater queer community. I am one of your co-hosts, Chris Ripple, and joining me tonight are my is my fabulous co-conspirator, uh, co-conspirator <laughs> and co-host, uh, Michael Greywolf. Chase Powers uh, may be joining us later, so we'll keep our fingers crossed. Say hi, everyone, including you, Chase. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> hello there. Hello, hello. Uh, of course, if you haven't already, please hit subscribe to stay up to date on your preferred platform so that you know whenever we put out a new episode. How are you doing, Michael? How have you been? I've been good. I have, oh my gosh, what have I, what have I been up to? Working mostly. Lots uh, of working. Uh, that and, well, and you know, and it's not just my everyday muggle job that I've been doing. We, so the first deadline for Stone and Stang has passed, you know, first registration yeah. deadline. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'm I'm currently treasurer at the moment, so I'm handling the money and the registration for everyone who is coming to the event. So, but just you know, registration is still open, you know, but you now have to pay a little, a little bit more. And the only spots we have available are camping spots. If you're someone mm-hmm. who's interested in Stone and Stone, uh, it is going to be a lot of fun. We're like very surprised by how many people are attending. We didn't think we'd get this many. Um, oh gosh! <laughs> I mean, it's almost twenty people. Wow, that's cool. It's and, like large enough but intimate enough, you know. So currently, yeah. we're at about twenty. Currently, about wow. twenty. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're you know, you're. Oh my gosh, I can't think of the words that we are. Your your Sternenstein committee is working hard to try to make this an amazing event for everyone. I am working on an email that I'm going to be sending out because, you know, we have it on the website that if you're going to be attending the gathering, you need to get in touch with Sphinx to arrange pickup from the airport. 
And so far, he's only had one person do it. <laughs> and we have like several people who have said, oh, I'm going to need a ride. Mm. And they've not reached uh, the Sphinx. I'm not sure if I was that one person. I have a feeling I wasn't. So <laughs> No, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> Sphinx, honey, if you're listening, I, I could use a ride. No. Thanks. <laughs> no, you gotta email. You you have to email him. He he's not going to be taking it from this uh, <laughs> podcast. Uh, but yes, and since we're getting so close to the event, we need to figure out like people's dietary requirements. So mm-hmm. uh, in the email, I am going to be sending out. It'll be asking you know, omnivore, vegan, gluten free type stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's that and. Oh my gosh, what else have I been up to? Uh, well, one of my partners was in town over the, mm-hmm. the last weekend. So I was showing him around Dallas, and we went to a few different things, and it was a lot of fun. Like, I haven't been to the Dallas Museum of Art in a while. Oh, my mm-hmm. God, it was so much fun. And I want to go back and go back with my sketchbook and just sit and mm-hmm. write. Well, not write, sit and draw for a little bit. And we just had someone pop into the green room, and I'm going to bring him over, but I'm going to continue talking. <laughs> oh, and he just went away. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway, uh, there was one exhibit that I loved so much. It was a very immersive experience. Huh. Uh, I Basically, you walk into this, like, really dark room, and there's videos. There, like, each... There's like all these pa- all these screens on both walls, and well, it's a hallway, not a room. It's a long, dark hallway, and there's these screens on both sides, and each screen has one person, and they're playing an instrument, and it's all like turned up at a very high volume, so it's all like blending together. But if you stand mm-hmm. in front of one screen, like you're you're like hearing that one person play but they're all playing the same song and you can hear them all talking and singing in concert together. And I was just like, it gave me chills. <laughs> I was like, Oh wow. I haven't felt like this in a while, you know, with art and music. And I was like, I need to come back here. <laughs> mm. Well, that is fascinating. But I'm hoping it's still there when uh, my boyfriend is in town for pride in June. So I want to take him there because I know he'd love it. But yeah, so that that's what I've been up to. He has finally joined us. Hopefully, <laughs> it's <you> true. <laughs> <laughs> Secret caller, Yay! would you like to state your name and uh, status <laughs> for us? <laughs> um, my name is my name is my my name is Harry, and I'm a Sagittarius. I Girl, like I like long walks on the beach, fried chicken, and big dicks. True, <laughs> true. It's true. It's true. Hello. <laughs> Sorry. Oh, welcome, Chase. <sighs> you know. <laughs> How you been, hun? Uh, you know, great. Uh, I was having uh, the most lovely nap. I so. told you. I, I told you. <laughs> my, my. I got I got home from work 
and you know I got to have some uh, I got to have some cuddle time with the puppies, and then oh. there was sleep. So, mm. and then suddenly, mysteriously, my phone started going absolutely apeshit. So, <laughs> you know. Did you I see our make- little faces in your dream, Chase? I mean, you know, not quite, but pretty close. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know. Well, we're so glad you made it. I know. I know. You you do sound very well rested. (laughs) Yes. I mean, finally, because I'm telling you what, I haven't had a good night's sleep in several nights. So. Uh it's true. And not for any fun reasons. Yeah, Michael and I were chatting about daylight savings and how it just uh, messes you up pretty good. Girl, every year it wrecks my shit. We really should do away with it. I mean, I, I could go on and on. There's, like, medical studies about, like, spikes and accidents. You know, that one hour makes a huge difference. Well, I mean, you know, I, I understand a lot of people are like, uh, I don't want the sun to come up at like whatever time, but I'm like, y'all, we're all going to be in an office. Nobody cares. It's fine. Right. Arizona has been getting along quite well without it for how long now? Yep. So. Yeah. I know. It, sound, it sounds like California, uh, Washington and Oregon this year are trying to get a bill passed through the Senate to do away with it entirely, so. Makes sense. Mm. Here's to hoping, because fuck that shit. (laughs) (laughs) It ruins everything. You know, when I lived in Hawaii, it was my first time experiencing not experiencing daylight savings. Uh, And it was strange, but, uh, you know, it was so funny because my friends, you know, before Netflix became more of a thing, uh, they were saying, like, the one that sucks about it is, like, you're your shows that you watch, they just shift by an hour on like <laughs> on what time they show uh, because the rest of the country, except for Arizona and some other counties, right, are doing daylight savings, but Hawaii also doesn't do it. So I thought that was pretty funny. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, welcome, Chase. I'm glad you got some rest. <laughs> Before we jump into you know anything else, I want to know about this weekend that I missed out on that you two were present for. Yeah, we oh, both got yes. quality time together, and I was here in Texas by my lonesome. Oh, I'm sure you weren't lonesome, please. <laughs> but that's cute, Michael. <laughs> um, yeah, I, um, so for folks, I think most people might know, but then uh, for the apprenticeship in the Onion Path, uh, there are at least two in-persons, um, like, where like people gather and some things just can't be taught. Uh, long distance, and uh, it's a great opportunity for brother initiates to gather. Um, so I had the, the yeah, it, it's such a joy to be able to go and join uh, a group of students, but also other brother initiates uh, in Portland, Oregon. Um, yeah, I had a great time. Uh, I mean, Chase, you live there, so I'm not sure <laughs> uh, what your experience of it was, but I do love Portland a lot. It's like a beautiful, beautiful city. I mean, I love I love living in Portland. So uh, every time anybody asks me, um, "Oh, are you sure you wouldn't rather like 
move back to Texas, I just burst out laughing because no. <laughs> Absolutely not. Well, to all five of our Texas listenership, you know, he does please don't take it personally. <laughs> I love mean, you all too. You know, I, I, I love a lot of Texans. It's just, you know, the weather in that hellscape is enough for me. Yeah. So not not to mention the um shall we say political and religious climates. Mm. So I lived literally my entire life in Texas, so <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> yep. Awesome. Pretty much. Uh well, uh, I've been fine, too. I, you know, my trip to uh, Portland actually gave me a little bit of, a uh, little more firsthand exposure to the craziness around uh, coronavirus. And uh, it, it's been interesting. Oh. Yeah, just being in the airport system and then coming back home. Apparently, the West Coast is becoming a bit of a hotbed. So wash your hands, y'all. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, some of the things we've been dealing with here in New York, of course, is um, you know when there's when there's panic and fear, uh, a lot of our our hate becomes a little magnified. So a lot of xenophobic attacks on like Asian folks here. If, if you are safe enough and you witness some of that, please um, step up, you know, and then maybe educate. Take the opportunity to educate. Being Asian doesn't make you a carrier of coronavirus. Believe it or not. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how how else, um how have you all been experiencing Corona in your neck of the woods? Oh my God, people are stupid, stupid. Oh, <laughs> uh, so you know, I work in retail, and yes. we have well, it's good for sales, but it's still, it's stupid. People are buying like so much freaking dog food because they're like, I don't want my my pets to go hungry if we're if we have to be quarantined i'm like oh my god it's not like chill wash your damn hands <laughs> and and like we we can't get uh hand sanitizer for ourselves for the store yes because there's none around there is no freaking hand sanitizer anywhere wow yeah it's been pretty crazy um like you know it, in the hospital I work, they've, they've kind of sent out a notice saying that um, that they'll be checking bags as we leave to make sure we're not stealing hand sanitizer or masks uh, for our own personal oh use. God. <laughs> yeah, a little crazy. I mean, just for the record, just a little PSI here, Mom, if you two will, will mind, a little good old-fashioned soap and water, if you use it properly, is the best, the best protection against... Many, many, many diseases and viruses, including coronavirus. Um, and obviously, just be smart. Before you t- touch any mucous membrane, wash your hands, do it properly. Puro is great in a pinch, but there's nothing quite like soap and water. And Maybe so use a dental dam. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> hey, yeah. you know, I love tossing in my salad, but, you know, got to stay safe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness! Y'all need Jesus. <laughs> no, only if he washes really his hands. <laughs> I mean, depends. Is he the one with the big dick? <laughs> oh boy. Well, on that note, <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
Yeah, I, you know, I think it's great. It's been good to catch up with both of you. And it's, yeah, also, I, you know, as you know, I thought that we were recording last week because I'm crazy. <laughs> so this is long overdue already. <laughs> so uh, moving on to our topic, as most of you know, this past Sunday was International Women's Day, which is a, uh, I believe it was a holiday that was originally initiated by the UN to bring awareness to the uh, struggles of women, the advancements made for women, but also the current struggles um, like worldwide as far as like um, what, what we're currently working on. And it, as an inspiration from that, uh, we wanted to tap into the topic of like um, queer men, our relationship to the divine feminine, to goddess. And, you know, in, in preparation for that, we actually uh, pulled a couple of different uh, groups including uh, the Unnamed Path Facebook group, uh, Gay Pagans and Buddhists Facebook group, Gay Pagan Brotherhood Facebook group, and Between the Worlds Community Facebook group. And as Michael mentioned, we also had an in-person, so I, was, I had the opportunity to have a great um, just in-person discussion with a bunch of, of the folks involved with the Unnamed Path, just talking about this topic. So thank you so much to all, that, all those that responded. Uh, honestly, the response was overwhelming. There, we had so much... Uh, feedback given to us about each of your relationships with the divine feminine and really even after multiple trimmings and reorganizing there's still like pages and pages of notes so we'll be here for about four hours so just buckle in (laughs) i don't know yeah what do you guys think should we just jump into it yes okay cool (laughs) you know what i thought was really uh fascinating and then you know uh, please, the two of you just chime in uh, whenever. Is that we? There were lots of our um, one of the one of the themes that came up a lot was this idea of us as queer men having this common communal trauma around, I guess, around our own gender identity and our own otherness. So a, a lot of the folks that shared, they spoke about well, they spoke about a natural kinship with women or the feminine in their lives. Uh, of course, this included like many of our mothers, uh, but even with like friends that we kept in closer circles, most of them being like women or girls, or having deeper or more intimate relationships with the girls in our lives, which I thought was interesting. I don't know. How about you two? I, would you say that this resonates with your experience as well? Um, you know, I would say generally, yes. Um, I think mm-hmm. I had a similar experience that a great many of the men who love men that I've ever talked to have had where I had an easier time relating to my mother and to a lot of the female relatives in my family and to a lot of the a lot of my women friends. You know, I was never interested in the things that the boys were interested in. I was, you know, I'm not athletic. I can't throw, I can't catch, I can't hit a ball, I can't uh, dodge a ball, I can't run, which sort of disqualifies me from most sports. Cars are boring. I'm much more, you know, let me do arts and crafts and read a book. So I spent a lot of time with the women in my life from a very young age. I don't I don't and won't say that my dad was an absent father or anything like that. He actually made very, every effort to be present for both of myself and my brother. But um, we didn't really relate well to each other until I was like 17. 
and about to move out of the house. So, you know. Mm. But as far as that goes, by and large, I've tended to identify more with the women in my life. And also, I mean, I know that a lot of the a lot of the abuse that I suffered at the hands of other straight men, not necessarily family members, but, you know, um, tended to be rooted in misogyny. Right. Um, you know, because you're, you know, it's, it's women are bad enough, but here you are being a guy who's acting like a girl. So, you know, mm. we must, we must eradicate that and, you know, bring you back into line. How about you, Michael? Anything to add to that? I would say mine, my situation growing up was actually very similar to what Chase was talking about. I, most of my friends growing up were female. I spent a lot of time with my mom and it wasn't necessarily because my dad didn't want anything to do with me. He was just working all the time. And Mm. when he wasn't working, he was tired. So my mother was the primary person who we went to whenever we had anything we needed to talk about or anything with school and she was just it you know she kind of and I you know I kind of want I want to say that it was you know growing up looking back I'm like it was kind of a cultural thing also in a lot of Mexican households you're the children are primarily looked after by the mother the dad's not really involved he's working uh he doesn't really get involved until the kids are in their teens or older Mm -hmm. traditionally that's not to say that's how it is in every Mexican household, and traditionally Mexican households are uh, matriarchal. Mom, mom handles the money. Again, looks after the kids. She manages the house. Uh, so it, I've always just defaulted to, oh, let me ask mom. Let me go to mom with this. Uh, so you know that was me. And again, when I got older and. I I actually liked some sports when I was younger, so I I can kind of, you know, and I had male friends who wanted to interact with me, who wanted, you know, to do stuff, but I still was like, I'd rather just either hang out with the girls or just hang out by myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Honestly, you know, I I think I resonate with that too. Um, you know, I my my dad also like worked a lot, and you know, yeah. I, I think, like, early on in my childhood, my mom was also working, but then for various reasons, she decided to focus more on staying home. And then, you know, in many, uh, I would say in Korean culture as well, like, a, a large part of um, the family unit is very matriarchal. It's, like, definitely um, mom was in charge of, like, money and finances and children and ins and outs of the house. Yeah, and then, you know, I think, be, like you said, Michael, like, because my dad was working all the time and tired, really, I feel like my t- two brothers uh, connected with him, but in moments when he was just, like, decompressing in front of the television, watching the latest insert whatever game, you know, which I had no interest in whatsoever, whether it was, like, baseball or football. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I think for that reason, uh, you know, I I have very clear memories of when – I realized my dad was a real person, <laughs> you know, as opposed to just this person that happened to live with us, like uh, actually having a personality. And I remember one summer I actually, my dad had a bike shop and I worked at his bike shop one summer. And that's when I saw him just interacting with people and just shooting the shit and laughing. And I was like, who's this person who 
I've been living with for my whole life that I clearly don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, you know, uh, something else that people mentioned too is like, uh, there's definitely uh, a lot of folks definitely kind of resonate with the theme of like an absent father. And that could be like physically absent or it could just be maybe not being, not necessarily taking part in the child rearing part of their lives a little bit. But it, it, what's interesting was that a lot of folks spoke about how I think like many of us as children, even though we might not have had the words for it, we knew that we were other, you know, we knew how special we were or how different we were. And for that reason, many of us might've not seen ourselves in these traditional masculine uh, roles, which is interesting. And then um, someone else spoke about sometimes in the best case scenario, sometimes like straight men might recognize our otherness as well and not quite know what to do with it. You know, Uh, of course, mix in toxic masculinity and it just gets uh, worse from there. Mm-hmm. I, I actually just remembered uh, I, uh, in my elementary school days, uh, I'm not sure why, but for whatever reason, they decided to split the playground into a girl's section and a boy's section. <laughs> and the reason that they, they, they um, shared was that boys are rough. And I remember I was the only boy that was allowed to play on the girl's section. And, you know, I, I look back to that moment, I wonder, yeah, and, I, and the, the person, his name was Mr. Pace, the person that was in charge of, like, taking care of, like, um, recess and everything. I wonder what he saw in me, right, that, that he recognized that I was other and maybe even safer on the girl's side, you know? Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, when you were talking about toxic masculinity, as I, as I got older, that whole idea became so much more apparent to me. Again, being uh, of Mexican descent, there's that whole machismo thing that you encounter in mm. uh, a lot of like Mexican communities and whatnot. And I definitely, when I look back on how I grew up with, uh, you know, the other other kids in my neighborhood, I always just saw, you know, the roughhousing. You know, the trying to, you know, be the top dog on the playground and whatnot. I was like, I'm not into this. I don't want to do this. Why do you want? Why do you want to hurt each other? I'm mm. I'm gonna go over here where they're playing hide and seek and no one's getting hurt, or, or something like that. Or, but again, you know, as I got older, it became more apparent. Okay, that is definitely something that the whole machismo thing does not vibe with me. You know, going into like teenage years and whatnot, I was like. Why, again, why Why do you want to, I, I can't think of the right words, but the whole alpha male thing is just stupid, stupid. Mm. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. How about you, Chase? Anything to add to that? Not really. No? <laughs> cool. Well, sorry, as I skim my notes a little bit. We also, let's see. Awkward segue, awkward segue. So going from like, I, it's interesting because people shared their, um, I, I think the way I, we phrased the question was that does our queerness, how does that impact our relationship with goddess or fa- um, divine feminine? And is there any sort of like uniqueness due to it? Or is there a uh, unique access due to it? And uh, this this sharing of our uh, communal like trauma around othering and um, even like being 
forced into this um, binary of gender roles and not seeing ourselves reflected in it in the adults around us uh, was interesting because it kind of spoke to our connection to the divine in general. Like uh, one person or multiple people were speaking about our queerness and how it kind of gives us access to a unique experience being a like being the in-between person, uh, natures of like transformation, a bridger of worlds, even like holding paradox uh, might come naturally to us, like us realizing the complexity of our gender expression or even our experience on the playgrounds or in the school bus or whatever. And even being open to like maybe instinctively or naturally open to like other quote unquote energies even to the divine feminine. So like one example that someone shared was, and again, I'm not a straight man, so I guess we're kind of um, projecting a little bit, but as like straight folks, we might, we see the divinity in ourselves in that way. Right. So, and because it fits the mainstream overculture, it's reinforced this idea of like what divine masculine uh, should look like, and then kind of staying in the lines a little bit, uh, defining that this is where you belong and it fits well. Uh, as far as like straight men identifying with the divine masculine as a as a hetero experience, but then uh, us being open to like openness for some people gave us an interesting in or a willingness to explore identifying with as opposed to experiencing the divine feminine. Um, how does this resonate with both of you? Any connections there? You first, Michael. <laughs> I was going to say, are we going to go with Chase each time? <laughs> I was trying to process what you were saying. Um, Me too. So, <laughs> a little bit from what you were saying kind of goes to when you were talking about, like, our queerness being, letting us be open to the other energies, to the divine feminine and whatnot. I definitely agree with that. I'm just trying to figure out how to word why I agree with that. Because for me, I'm looking at it from a cisgender male perspective of mm-hmm. you know, masculine, feminine, God, goddess. And you know, right now we're focusing on the goddess. And the goddess has always been when – how do I say it? So when I was first drawn to the goddess, I was drawn to her nurturing abilities. I was drawn to the idea of family. I was drawn mm-hmm. to – you know, her ability to create and, you know, we do, and we often associate those types of things with just femininity, but in, in, well, in my studying, uh, my practice, I've figured out that those things that I just associated with the goddess can also be associated with the divine masculine, but in a different way. And, you know, putting them together helps me, you know, focus on my own path, my own tradition, my own gods and goddesses. Because they're not they're not the hetero, heteronormative versions of other gods and goddesses. You know, the dark goddess is a creator and destroyer. Same thing with like the dark god. He creates and destroys and those are my matron and patron. So and I think I'm I'm going in a tangent. I can't think of where else to go with this. Uh, anyone else wanna jump in? Sure. Okay. So um you know, my relationship with the Divine Feminine is complicated, as things often tend to be. Um, <laughs> you know, because n- nothing simple is ever fun. I 
came to the unnamed path after a number of years spent sort of trying to figure out a way to shoehorn myself into a sort of heteronormative practice and feeling very out of place with that of viewing, you know, the divine masculine, divine feminine as the goddess is the creator and the God is the, um, the consort who gives her power, but does nothing in and of himself except fuck her and die. And, you know, being that I am not particularly interested whatsoever in having that sort of relationship with any female, much less a goddess, um, you know, it was very hard for me to see myself in that. Um, And coming into the unnamed path where, you know, instead of this relationship being, you know, well, this is just sort of how it is. And, you know, you can figure out a way to be here. Um, We'll just sort of, you know, pretend that you're fine with it or whatever, Um, you know, coming into the unnamed path and being like, oh, this is much more reflective of the way that I actually relate to masculinity and femininity. I also do not, you know, generally associate the goddesses with, you know, I guess, Western archetypal femininity because um, the dark goddess is not about that life. Um, at all. Um, so, you know, oh, goodness, excuse me, trying to marshal my thought. I find that, um, oftentimes my relationship with the divine feminine is colored by that to some extent. In the other traditions that I work in or that I practice in, while those traditions are not necessarily heterocentric they're also not queer centric at least one of them is not specifically queer centric and there's a host of there's a host of relationships and ways that you interact with the gods i find that the unnamed path has a much more personal relationship with our gods and goddesses than a lot of other traditions do but i guess it's sort of your your mileage may vary as far as that goes And a lot of it is going to come down to your unique relationship with whatever divinity you're forming a relationship with. But I know that for myself, I do tend towards relating to the goddesses as, you know, confidants or as people that are people as as someone that I know can teach me things rather than someone for whom I worship because, and granted, we don't worship gods in the ending path, but, you know, someone for whom I am I am venerating or someone for whom I am coming into relationship with merely as a result of their ability to procreate. Mm-hmm. My relationship with the goddess Hecate is very centered around what she teaches me, what I can learn from her versus any thoughts of divine procreation she doesn't really fit into to me she doesn't really fit into any of the pseudo archetypal maiden mother crone nonsense so there's that you know it's interesting that both of you kind of tap into this a little bit but you know it occurs to me that you know sometimes we say oh that's the goddess for or that's the god for or i remember even in my catholic days like oh you pray to this saint for this and do that for that right but 
any entity is more complex than that, right? It's and then when you have like a deep relationship, you know that like people, not let alone our our gods and goddesses, have more than like just one wheelhouse that we go to them for, right? So it's interesting, like what became magnified like throughout history, and that of course that's part of the overculture and sometimes heteronormative overculture or what's happening politically, uh, like in the climate. But I think both of you kind of referenced this idea of like meeting goddesses that that you might find in like mythology textbooks or like straight folks might interact with as the goddess for their textbook definition. Uh, but then actually meeting them on on different levels. You know what I mean? There's actually another theme that can't kind of bubbled up too. A lot of folks were talking about, uh, and some folks in the unnamed path were definitely talking about how. This is why that they resonate with the gods and goddesses that we uh, work with because of that, that personal relationship and that, uh, I was about to say real relationship. But, uh, maybe I want to say like um, like three-dimensional relationship as opposed to it being a flat one, but the complexity of their personas uh, as like actual entities, you know? I'm not sure. Am I picking up what, what the two of you are putting down there or... <laughs> Seems like that's something that's like yeah. a bubble. I would yeah, say so it, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, it's definitely more fulfilling to have a face-to-face conversation than just you know communicating via text. <laughs> basically. Yeah. You know, your our relationship, our you know, well, not just us. Anyone who works with any sort of divine, uh, masculine or feminine, as we're as we're talking about right now. Right. The more you dig into, you know, who that divine feminine is, who that divine being is, and working with them, the stronger the relationship, the more you know who they actually are, versus just mm-hmm. you know lighting like lighting a candle and saying a prayer you got out of a book. Right. You know, I mean. That's not to say, you know, you can't have a relationship like that. You know, that is totally fine if that works for you. But, right. You know, there are there are those who go deeper. Right. Yeah, I think it's the difference between, like, finding utility with our gods and goddesses and actually having a relationship, you know? And uh, it's interesting. I feel like, uh, you know, this question kind of spurred the sharing of, I don't know. I feel like part again going back to our common common experience of othering, and us kind of being either by nature familiar with uh, otherness or paradox, or just by virtue of, of us like growing up in that way. So maybe possibly in in more of a nurture training kind of a way, but just being able to hold that nothing is that simple, um, and then even in our approach to the divine, feminine and masculine and other. It's interesting that like uh, a lot of folks shared about whether it's just for like a bit of an exercise or just like how they see uh, the divine feminine, they see like another complex layer beyond just their their one token thing that they're known for, you know? I don't know. No, totally. So one of the things, and this is something that I, you know, that I go to great lengths to try to impress upon my students um is that you know we don't taking the um yellow pages approach 
to relationship with divinity is a really bad plan. For example, you know, the and this is not to say that everyone who engages with, you know, the the relationship with the deity is doing this, but there is a trend in the greater neo-pagan community of saying, oh, I would like to do a love spell. So I'm going to call on Aphrodite because she's the goddess of love, right? So this ignores quite a number of, you know, things with that. First of all, sure, she's associated with certain kinds of love. But if you actually read literally any of the mythologies associated with her, Probably not the kind of love that you're thinking of when you're wanting to do a love spell. You know, she's not the person that you'd go to for a long-lasting relationship. Aphrodite's all about beauty and infatuation and not really about lasting love in a relationship. You know, mythologically, she was, yes, married to Hephaestus, but also she fooled around with Aries on the side a lot. So <laughs> maybe not the, you know, maybe don't take the yellow pages approach to dealing with divinity, you know, form relationship, whatever that looks like, you're going to get a, if you're just doing magic, you're going to get much better results. But B, you know, if you're actually looking for a relationship with the divine, it's much better to have a more full, whole understanding of that divinity, of that deity, and all the things that they do. Not just looking up their name in a table of correspondences and deciding that you want to work with them. Additionally, and I know this is, a, you know, I can only speak to this sort of tangentially. I know that this is a problem that is often occurring in a lot of... Uh, ADRs or ATRs that, you know, someone, usually a white person because we're the literal worst, will announce that they're going to start working with a particular Loa or a particular Orisha because basically they looked up their name in a table of correspondences in a book and decided that they want to start working with this particular spirit. Now, the 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 Loa are not necessarily divinities as such, and the Orisha run the gamut of being divinity to maybe not being divinity, depending on this particular spirit, but principle remains the same. That you also need to be aware when you're looking into a tradition, the traditions associated with that practice especially when it's a living extant practice, don't just decide that you're going to start working with a particular spirit. It's a bad plan. If there's not really a living existent tradition, then your mileage will vary. Figure out what you can do. But form relationship, don't just... What was the... How did they, how did, how did they put it? Um, you wouldn't walk into somebody's house announce that you're their new best friend, plunk yourself down on their couch and start eating their food. Yeah, demand to be fed, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe don't do that with a deity or a really big spirit. Maybe bad plan. Maybe bad plan. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I mean, you wouldn't do that with your neighbor, right? <laughs> I mean, you, you, cer- every day. <laughs> you certainly wouldn't do that to your neighbor in Texas. <laughs> nope. You're going to end up shot. Really, I thought you all were so welcoming and all about like hospitality. Yeah, but that's inviting. That's inviting somebody in. That's not uh, somebody just showing up to your house. (laughs) Yeah. Mm Mm-mm. Bad plan. Mm Bad plan, huh? It's a bad plan. (laughs) Ironically, it's also a bad plan in New York. (laughs) I'm. So not surprised by that. No. <laughs> you know, it's so funny. We live on top of each other, but we're all strangers. <laughs> See, uh, most dense and loneliest place to live in the world. Welcome. <laughs> Is it? Because that sounds kind of lovely. Like. Yes. I mean, it pe- could be. It could people, be people leaving you alone. I mean, granted, I also understand from my understanding, you sort of have to you have to you have to create your own personal space because of how crowded it is. Yes, absolutely. You know, where like in Texas, if you're walking past somebody on the sidewalk, you're generally going to smile and nod. But in New York, like nobody looks at each other. Nobody acknowledges each other because you're jammed together like sardines. You need to have some kind of personal space or you're going to go insane. Mm-hmm. All true. <laughs> or so I hear. Well, that's why you have to come visit. So you can experience it firsthand. <laughs> Good old New York hospitality. <laughs> that's a lot of people. It is a lot of people. It is a lot. The only thing mix, miss, uh, missing from your um, analysis, Chase, is that as we pass by uh, each other and we actually do see everyone, it's actually like sensory overload, which is why those walls are so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not seeing no one. It's actually seeing everyone and then thus seeing no one. So it's uh, it could be overwhelming for sure. Well, yeah, on that hand, just come visit to New York. Everyone. <laughs> well, well, Chris, you know, I, I was going to yeah. chime in. You know, when when yeah. you said that last bit about your how you're so jam packed together and you know you do see everyone, but you don't. Yes. Uh, for the longest time, that I, I want to say that was almost my relationship with the goddess. Uh, ah. Because there were so there's so many different goddesses, you know, that people work with, and like Chase was saying, a lot of people are like. The goddess of love, oh, maybe Aphrodite, maybe this one, maybe that one. So for the longest time, my perception of goddess was just the general idea of goddess and what she meant to me. Mm. And for me, I often would associate the idea of goddess as like my mother or my grandmother, because mm. they were they were like the ultimate people for me. You know, they were on on well, I'm, I'm using, you can't say, but I'm putting quotes, all-knowing and all-powerful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no. At the time, growing up, they were the people that I would turn to when I needed help or where I needed comfort. And, you know, so for me, for the longest time, I just, I just had the idea of goddess, not one particular goddess in general, just goddess. And whenever I would go to different pagan events, if they were focusing on one goddess, I would like okay you know i'll do whatever but 
I'd steer as soon as we were done, I'd steer back to my own version of mm-hmm. divine feminine. Mm. That's really interesting, actually. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Well, no, I, again, just because there's so many different ones, I didn't know who I was called to. Mm-hmm. You know, for me, it was it was always about who am I called to, you know, work with, and I wasn't really, I didn't feel called to work with any divine feminine or divine masculine for the longest time. Just the idea of divine feminine, divine masculine, no particular mm-hmm. goddess, no particular god. Mhm mhm. Yeah, I think that's a good segue for a, a, another topic or another uh, experience that kind of like that a lot many of us shared as far as the folks that responded was I guess this is kind of in the challenges department but like uh, many of our brothers experienced challenges when entering the neo-pagan movement or communities and it being like we spoke a lot about like many of us had a strong affinity with the women or the girls uh, or feminine energy in our lives uh, because of our otherness. And it's interesting that like, even with the, with the same communal trauma, uh, many of our experiences kind of took a different manifestation. And that was actually maybe not so much uh, maybe a resistance, but also like a, just being like not having a familiarity with, feminine energy in that way like one example and you know i actually resonate with this too one example that one of our brothers uh shared was just feeling very like like the goddess was forced upon him you know when he entered the neo-pagan community it was and especially in the u.s right i feel like a lot of neo-paganism is very like goddess-centric or can be especially at first whether it's just like media or things that were being published and of course, there are reasons for that too, right? There, are, it's it's a response to the patriarchy, right? But I think a lot of our folks in our community experience this, maybe a discomfort or not finding themselves in the goddess culture that was so um, prominent. I'm not sure if that resonates with both of you. I, I know when I first started, it's interesting because I think of like my experience as a Catholic and, you know, aside from my mother, who I did worship in many ways uh, as a kid, uh, you know, my, I still feel that my first goddess in many ways or was the Virgin Mary, specifically Our Lady Guadalupe. I felt this really strong connection to her. I'll be praying the rosary all the time. Uh, but it's interesting. I, you know, I'm, I was thinking about my relationship with my mom and my relationship with the Virgin Mary and how there was, an interesting disconnect, but between the two entities, uh, I feel like my sense of God has kind of formed. But when I entered the neo-pagan community, I, I also felt very, I don't know, I felt a little repelled or I didn't feel welcome in the goddess-centric culture for some, I, I you know, maybe, maybe y'all can anal- analyze that for me, but <laughs> I wonder if it had something to do with my still coming to terms with my own otherness and finding myself or even just trying to define my own masculinity. And of course, the very real, not even possibility, but probability that it was residual, like toxic masculinity, right? That I was like working through uh, and being resistant to this idea of like a powerful feminine and what that meant to a closeted little queer boy that was trying not to be gay, right? Yeah. Feel free to jump in <laughs> as I rant on. <laughs> so. Uh, so you know there there's a 
thing that happens when anyone who discovers a part of themselves uh, when they're first like joining into a community, like the as when we get a chance to finally realize, oh, I'm gay. Mm. You know, we go hardcore, full force gay, like rainbow everything. And watch every gay movie, download every every track of Celine Dion or Madonna or whoever is the gay uh, gay icon at the moment. And same thing with people who are rediscovering their ancestry. Uh, you know, I you know if you're Irish, Irish everything, or you know German everything, or Mexican everything, or Korean everything. We go full force. Same thing with you know when you're first joining a religious movement, full force like everything feminine and i feel Mm -hmm. like for a lot of queer men who first get into you know like you were saying get into the neo-pagan movement it we are drawn to it because it is a response to the patriarchy it is female-led it's female-centric it is not the masculine bullshit that has been forced onto us by the overculture and we embrace it fully and just go full force for the longest time Mm. but as you you know as you grow up in you know well, grow up as you mature in whatever thing that you're in. Like we, you know, when you're when you're gay, it's you know maybe not so many rainbows. You still have some rainbows, but it's not rainbow everything. <laughs> uh, and same thing with like different ethnic backgrounds. And with paganism, as soon as you you know kind of like get over the big hump of okay, everything goddess, everything this, everything whatever, you start realizing okay, I need to kind of find my spot in this huge movement and I know for me it was realizing that I was focusing so much on my feminine side I was forgetting that I do have a masculine side and you know trying to rein it in and be like okay you know so how do I find a balance because I don't fall in the fully masculine I don't fall in the fully feminine I fall kind of in between and it fluctuates between that thought every day so Mm -hmm. I, I think at the moment I've found a fairly nice balance of my divine feminine and my divine masculine. <laughs> so other people might disagree, but that's their own opinion. It does not affect me. <laughs> uh, and I kind of forgot where I was going with this, so if anyone else wants to jump in. <laughs> I think that's the nature of this talk today. It's very like meandering and all over the place, but... I'm sure our listeners are taking notes. (laughs) I mean, my only thing to add is that, you know, when you talked about like coming out and just rainbow everything, uh, we used to call that fagging out. (laughs) I'm not sure if like people still call it that. I mean, but yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure if rainbow everything has changed except for, I mean, maybe during pride, right? (laughs) I never got that rainbow. I never got that rainbow uh, tattoo. So um, that's probably not going to happen. Yeah, I think I agree with you, Michael. I think it's interesting where, yeah, I think when you first enter a community or look for a home within a community, there's definitely that moment of like getting all the books and buying all the tools and getting all the gear and um, signing up for all these newsletters and whatever, you know. And then I imagine like uh, it becomes very polarized right so sometimes that polarized um, initial experience it kind of like washes out or it um it overpowers the actual complexity of identity sometimes you know so i wonder if that's what some of our brothers were experiencing and what i was experiencing too as i was like entering this community and finding this kind of 
either feeling of unwelcomeness or or repulsion on my part to this idea of divine feminine. And, you know, when you were talking about it, it reminded me of the point I was trying to make when I went on that whole large tangent. When I realized <laughs> that I needed to find a balance between, you know, divine feminine and divine rights, was when I realized, when I got into the community, it was very much, the, the goddess became more of a sexual figure for a lot of people. And it is, she is very much a sexual figure for a lot of people. And it was not so much for me. That goes back to right. kind of what Chase was talking about, how he had no desire to have that sort of relationship with the goddess. And I was like, I don't really want that either. Like, no, honey, we're not going to mess. We're, gonna, we're not going to link like that, honey. Uh, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that's when I started looking into more queer traditions. And that's how I found the ending path. Mm. I, you know, I think that's, it kind of speaks to the struggle of being a minority within a minority within a minority, you know? Sometimes you just find that community and then the welcome committee is like, hey, you've made it. Now, one of us, one of us, right? Like that moment happens. And then you're kind of like, yeah, but not quite, you know? And then it's, uh, it's a struggle, right? And it could, be, it could be a challenge for sure. Yeah. Wow. Well, yeah, lots of thoughts, you know, lots of thoughts just buzzing through my head about that. It's interesting. We uh, we also got lots of comments. So it's definitely the brothers that were sharing their uh, challenge in meeting goddess energy or uh, divine feminine, and then developing a relationship with it. Um, and and also just in general, many of our brothers expressed that having um, fostering a relationship with the divine masculine or the gods, especially like queer gods, had a very um, healing or facilitating effect with their relationship with the divine feminine or goddess energy. Uh, Basically, by meeting divinity on that plane and not in a heteronormative framework, uh, they were able to see goddess as uh, something else. Does that resonate with both of your experiences as well? I would say for the most part, yes. I don't really have... Honestly, I don't really have much to add to that. I would say mostly yes. Mm. Yeah, I personally thought it was really. I mean, like you know, as I was reading all these comments come in, it um, of course you you just can't help but reflect on your own experience. And I remember, like I, I mentioned, my my two formative figures for divine feminine early on was uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe and my mom. And relationships, like I did not see them as sexual, right? <laughs> so it's it's interesting now because. You know, I I remember there was a bit of a challenge for me as far as this idea of defining feminine. Like, sex is very powerful, and I love I love a ferocious sexual female like like energy, right? But I remember like I think seeing the, the divine feminine as like virginal allowed for me to almost have a queer experience with them. It, it kind of facilitated that for me. I don't know. Yeah, that's something that. I want to throw into the mix. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Michael? I, I mean, I, I would say just in general, paganism itself is very sexual. There mm-hmm. are very few deities that are not at least some sort of like some story of them having intercourse or procreating or something along those lines. I mean, there are a few, yet there are asexual God or asexual deity would and asexual agender even uh, mm-hmm. out there. And, I, I would definitely say, for me, before I started really getting into the greater pagan community, when I saw the goddess 
again, you know, I didn't see her as sexual, but then getting exposed to a larger pagan community, realizing, oh, no, she is very sexual. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she is, that's part, that's part of the whole uh, process is, you know, she gives birth to the God and then he impregnates her again in the cycle. But mm-hmm. I think my relationship with goddess, with divine feminine, actually got better after I initiated uh, in the unnamed path because I was able to uh, what's the word I'm looking for I was able to I can't think of a, I can't think of the word I was able to uh, relate <laughs> I was able to relate more to the goddess as we view her in our tradition and then forming my own relationship with her and seeing her how I see her mm. I also think personally that a lot of the um, a lot of the issues that queer men especially have in seeing the goddess as being sexual does actually tend to fall into that like discomfort that we have with the idea of women as being sexual like mm. there's a huge problem in the especially gay men community that like where we do that thing where female bodies are icky right and you know some of it i think is a some of it i think is almost a having the pendulum swing in the other direction from seeing how female body obsessed the you know our our heterosexual male uh oppressors can be mm-hmm. um and sort of swinging back in the other direction you know we're great with seeing we're great with seeing um, women be strong or be angry or be, you know, fierce or whatever. But, you know, because we don't, because we don't see women as objects of desire necessarily, um, we therefore don't see them as being able to be, if that makes sense, which is totally bullshit. You know, mm-hmm. and I'm just as guilty of it as anybody has been. Luckily, when we know better, we start to do better. But it's some of it also, I think, is attributing biological aspects to non biological entities. You know, we talk about, for example, you know, people have heard us talk about this before about being a child of whatever god or goddess that we are, you know, that is our matron or patron then this doesn't necessarily mean that we believe that our patron or matron deity literally created us, gave birth to us, you know, impregnated someone so that they could give birth to us. It's not, it's not what we mean. And we've had some people talk about, you know, as a queer tradition, why the heteronormativity in this particular aspect. And, you know, it's, it's not because it's also not ascribing biological functions to non-biological entities. Mm. Can you speak more to that, Chase? Like expand on the uh, challenges that that you were referring to? Well, some of it I can't really talk about <laughs> um, because it involves going through the apprenticeship. I'm limited in how much I can talk about it. What else can I say? Sorry. We see the divine in ourselves 
and ourselves in the divine. And so it can be really easy to extrapolate that into, I like having sex, therefore the gods have sex, which isn't necessarily wrong. But also don't see your sexual desires or proclivities as the same thing that the gods will have. Mm. Because that's not how that works. Yeah, hear, hear. I'm glad you brought up, how did you phrase it, the, uh, the, I was finding ickiness with like female bodies and female forms and, uh, or like, it's interesting because it's something that I've experienced or interacted with in, in different like gay communities that I might circle up with or, uh, or, or meet up with. And I feel like it, it speaks to, I mean, I, I keep going back to this idea of trauma, but it speaks to kind of us healing ourselves as a community. I mean, obviously, individually as well, right? You speak to, like, once you know, you could change. But, yeah, it's interesting that this, yeah, I think it, it's interesting that it speaks to our own, like, trauma around that, right? And then how that informs or maybe limits or colors our experience with divinity in general. Yeah, quite profound. <laughs> Gosh, yeah, this is like a, a very dense topic, <laughs> as can be seen from all the responses that we got. Just doing a quick scan of our notes. I want to make sure, again, thank thank you so much for folks that responded. Sorry if we didn't get to your your comments specifically. Do you two have anything, any like finishing thoughts that you'd like to share? Or Not anything? really. I feel like we've covered things pretty <laughs> pretty well honestly yeah 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 how how would you make you got a nice neat neat bow for the for this topic oh (laughs) gosh gosh no because i feel like we could actually just keep going and going and going because something that popped up in my head when you you know one of the last things we were talking about was our queer men's often aversion to the female form or yes female bodies or female-bodied individuals. I mean, I don't know, that just, it made me think of, like, when you were talking about, you know, it's our trauma from other stuff, but in my head I was thinking, you know, it's a traumatic, res- we're responding with trauma, we're responding to trauma with trauma. Yes. So we're, mm-hmm. we're reacting negatively to the female form or female-bodied individuals. You know, we are not helping our cause we're not helping our community yeah. we're definitely not we're definitely not uh paying homage to the goddess or the divine feminine or you know divine beings in general when we are acting in such a way towards another human being right and you know with one of the things that we're we're, we're doing this show in honor of uh international women's day and the whole pro- premise around that was uh, the whole, you know, from the International Women's Day website, you know, it's a global day celebrating the social, economic, cultural, and political achievements of women. A day also marks a call for action for accelerating gender equality. Yes. And when we react in such a way to the idea of female forms, you know, we are not helping that. Mm. I know you might have your opinions on stuff, but, you know, Maybe keep those opinions to yourself and don't vocalize them. Because, you know, I recently had an experience at a pagan gathering in a queer space where 
some other queer men were talk. Uh, they appear to be cisgendered queer men. We're talking about female-bodied individuals, and you know their conversation made me very uncomfortable and very upset. And you know, uh, I should have said something, but I didn't, and that's my fault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you for that, Michael. Yeah, I think you're right. It's it's interesting. I I feel like you know, the more we talk about this topic, and the more uh, as I was like exploring the responses, a lot of folks spoke about essentially how binary is bullshit, right? It's like there's so many areas where like a lot of us, for various reasons, one had trauma as as children because of binary and this idea of like we don't fit we're other other people see us as other they they recognize it they don't know what to do with us or we recognize that we don't know where we should go the girl side or the boy side and then like relationship with divinity and this idea of like not being able to connect or even feeling force-fed a certain version of divine energies whether feminine or masculine and then a lot of people I commented about how our our queerness or our, our otherness or our experience of othering or being othered kind of informs or kind of opened up the doors to this idea of divinity simply more complex than that and even ourselves being more complex than that. Examples being like seeing feminine as like aggressive or feminine as like active as opposed to passive or just mothering. Or um, and then seeing it with them, themselves as well, right? And then this conversation around like uh, the phobia around like, female bodies and female body parts, uh, and really the way that ties to the transphobia that we're still working through in our community as well, right? Sorry, I feel like I'm trying to get like a a, a neat ending space, but I feel like <laughs> it's uh might not be there. But really I, I think what Michael was just speaking to is that our relationship is ongoing, right? Mm-hmm. It's our gods are not dead, they're not flat, they're not they're not one chapter in a book or in a correspondence chart. Uh, it's a complex relationship that continues to grow as we grow and uh continues to challenge us as we heal uh our own shit, right? So, yeah, I guess I'm excited to see, one, uh, as people hear that challenge. And then, you, you know, Michael, you shared that you didn't, you didn't speak up, but it, I, it's okay. Um, you vocalized that challenge now on the air. And I, one way or another, uh, I think that we will all hear that challenge to, to question where our, our fear or aggressiveness around this is coming from, you know? Yeah, and then, um, again, tying it back to our topic, how that will inform or deepen our relationship with divinity. It's pretty exciting. Well, I don't have much more to add. (laughs) How about you two? No, I think you've covered things pretty well, really. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you, boys. (laughs) Uh, And also, thank you to all, all the folks that responded. Honestly, it was a lot of work, and I... I feel like it's still not done, obviously. So please do continue these conversations. And once this episode's out, we'll definitely be posting them. So we'd love to hear your comments. And who knows, there might be follow-up episodes as well. Uh, mm-hmm. So once again, big thank you to the Facebook groups, The Unnamed Path, Gay Pagans and Buddhists, Gay Pagan Brotherhood, and the Between the Worlds Community uh, Facebook group, as well as the brothers and uh, brother initiates and the students of The Unnamed Path that I spoke to in person. Well, we're coming to a close. 
on our show. And I guess I did already, but we'd like to thank everyone who is listening right now. And we hope you'll continue to walk this path with us. Please leave a rating or a comment and let us know how you like this episode or our show in general. Uh, if you would like to get in touch with us, you can email us at walkingtheunnamedpath at gmail.com. You can hit us up on Twitter at walking underscore the UP. And of course, on Facebook at facebook.com slash walkingtheunnamedpath. Blessings and see you all next time. Say bye, guys. Bye. <laughs> bye, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>